Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 59. I'm Rob Pozzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. What's up? Me and Rob have been around each other by the hip all week. It's nice to finally get to see you again, buddy. It is. Uh, yeah, I've actually seen you way too much this week, uh, but I will say I haven't talked to you about this yet. It's a, you don't even know that this is coming up, but I'm going to give you some serious props for your You Better, You Bet segment this week, your debut. Did you watch it? As an, ana- as an analyst, I, I caught the two-minute clip that the You Better, You Bet Twitter account posted, so not the full segment. However, Nick Costos, who we had on the Super Bowl special, did reach out to me and say, Johnny, true professional, what a segment. I'm not paraphrasing. He's like, incredible stuff, very actionable info, well-spoken, so... Congratulations. Wow. I did tell us Pozzola's story at the end. He asked me, did you, get, did you hear that part? <laughs> I did not hear that part. He said, we got about 30 seconds left. What's your best Rob Pozzola story? I'll let you listen on the pod. Okay. Every, anyone who wants to hear, you got to go listen. Sure, I will. Is it good? <laughs> Is it going to make me laugh? I mean, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be offended and want to punch you out like a a Rangers fan leaving game five or something like that. It's nothing. It's nothing. I've chirped you about this before. It's funny. It's a good story. Um, yeah. So we, uh, we were at a gaming conference this week here in uh, Toronto. So there's a couple big gaming conferences, which we got to kind of debunk here, Mm -hmm. but with, within the sports betting industry, a lot of times, you know, a lot of different operators, European sports books, Asian sports books, and then you have the, the U.S. and Canadian brands will all kind of get together for one sort of big networking conference. You can do business with the back-end odds providers or with, you know, the different sports betting affiliates. You may have some companies that are trying to pitch unique ideas. And then ultimately, there's a, a bunch of marketing companies who are, you know, finding ways to, you know, within the gambling industry, it's like, okay, well, we may need a issue with, you know, this kind of ad is now being blocked within the space. So let's, how do we get around that? Uh, and same kind of deal with the payment processors. So within Toronto this week, which I know Rob has the answer to, I'll let him tell the story, but there was two gaming conferences, all right? The Canadian Gaming Summit, mm-hmm. and then there was the Sigma Americas Gaming Conference. Both of them took place on the same dates at the same location, about a 15-minute walk apart. Now, Rob, why did this happen? So this is, I have to preface this story by saying this is unconfirmed. I'm not a reporter. I didn't go seek out information to see if this was actually true or not. But I had mentioned this. Me and Johnny were walking the floor uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday. And we're like, wow, it's, you know, it's kind of dead here. And someone's like, well, that's another conference right across the street. Of course, it's going to be dead and whatever. So I'm like, what kind, like, what kind of idiot would schedule a con- like two gaming conferences in the same week? And the guy's like, well, you see the Sigma guy tried to buy out this CGS uh, Canadian Gaming Summit conference, and they couldn't reach some sort of deal. So the Sigma guy basically put on this conference out of spite, is what he told me. I'm like, no, that can't be. He's like, no, like seriously, he said, like I don't care if I lose money on this. I don't want the other conference to make money either. I'll tell you thing. how big of a scumbag. <laughs> yeah, like it is. It is. I actually respect the move if it really happened. Yeah. Like, well, what what they said was like this guy, this Sigma conference is a massive conference in Europe, right? So he's got like the the juice, and he was like, okay, well. I'm doing a, the Toronto gaming conference this year because Ontario's a new, new emerging market, big market, Canada regulating. And then these other guys, like apparently they were just trying to scum him on the price. Like they kept raising it and he's like, all right, no worries. Right across the street, I'm booking the biggest venue I can. And now a lot of people are going to come to mine and you guys are making zero money off it. And I, I heard, well, I mean, from what we heard, 
This guy lost money on the conference and was fully willing to lose probably a lot of money on this. Based on the amount of people there, I would say, is and the venue, which is the Entercare Center on the Canadian National Exhibition Grounds in Toronto. Very nice venue, very nice conference um, uh, center. It's typically where they do like the home show and stuff like that. Absolutely packed. I would say to book that venue and the amount of people that were there probably took a, a substantial loss. But if he did it out of spite, I do kind of respect, respect the move. Um, it was it was interesting though. Like, Wait, hold on, the gift bag that they give out at the conference. <laughs> usually, it'll it'll have like um, you know I don't know if, if anyone's ever been to a conference or if you've been you know in university or college, you might get like a couple of samples, uh, you know some some cool maybe a water bottle, a pen, a pad of paper, something like that. I grabbed this gift bag. Uh, I will. There was three things in there. Okay, number one was a a pack of mints. Absolutely delightful. I'll take a pack of mints any day. You know, you stash in the pocket. You're talking to a lot of people. It, it was great, actually. For, yeah. for conference, this is a suggestion for everyone running a conference going forwards. There should always be one of those little boxes of mints. It's great. You put it in your blazer pocket. You're eating. You're drinking coffee over the course of the day. Your breath stinks. Pop a couple mints. Great yeah. idea. So you might be thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going from, you know, worst, like lowest ticket item up to biggest, right? No. Pack of mints, by far the best thing in there. Second thing in there. A little card that says this is the payment method if you want to test it out scan this thing to donate 20 bucks to some cause that was the second the second thing in there listen third you, thing in there I, I would say like listen i'll donate to a good cause every now and then but it wasn't even a relevant cause and i think it was like you know i don't know what it was i actually didn't even really really know exactly what it was but it's like okay the second gift gift item is to ask is asking, asking for, for a 20, donation. 20 bucks. Yeah. This is the guy that was spiteful. This is yeah. at his conference. Yeah. Okay. And then the third, and then the third thing was uh, just a business card of some uh, Toronto high-end realtor <laughs> to give, like, if it's, you want to buy a, a condo. The Toronto. bag itself was. Listen, I have a million bags from these conferences. I used to go to all sorts of these when I used to consult for some other gaming groups. So I have tons of them. The bag itself was a quality bag. So I'll give them that. They probably put a little bit more into that actual bag than at other conferences. But yeah, the gift bag was lacking. Uh, I've been to Sigma conferences before. This was definitely a large downgrade. And in fact, like the thing that drove me crazy about this conference in particular is the setup of, of like how the floor was designed. Typically, if you're going to go watch a panel at a conference, typically it's in another room. It's curtained off. This is just in the middle of like the, so it was so loud. You could, you like, you, you could not hear. I, I could not imagine what it was like being up on that stage, being part of a panel where literally everyone around you is doing something different, talking to a friend. It, it was just it very wasn't, It wasn't great. I almost felt bad for some of the panelists actually, because like there'd be three people up there and then someone moderating discussion. There'd be like four people listening, barely but also, I didn't feel bad for some of them because some panels were like professional sports betting. And then it's just like three totes. Yeah, like three <laughs> totes who are like just selling packages for like 50 bucks. It is irritating. Yeah. I, I actually... Um, I, I, didn't wa I didn't listen to any of the panels. I know I just... You know, I, I walked by. I saw Fat Joe. Oh, Fat Joe. Legendary. Legend. Legend. If you guys ever watched Scary Movie 3... <laughs> Fat Joe, legend. He was there somehow. I don't know. I think he was working on some crypto thing within the space. He's not as fat anymore. No, I saw, he slimmed uh, down. Yeah, Rob no. posted a photo and I saw a good response. Someone said, he's not looking like Fat Joe. He's looking like festively plump Joe. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did. He did lose weight. 
Uh, he was he was like the there's always like one of these uh, nightlife attractions at these conferences. So Fat Joe was playing at uh, Rebel Nightclub. That was like the the post. For anyone who lives in party. Toronto, you could tell they didn't really understand the the space of Toronto no. so well. They got Fat Joe at Rebel Nightclub. They're like, this is the night the nightlife scene here. Yeah, it was really like to leave. The, uh, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But, but with that being said, we did manage to meet with a lot of great partners, a lot of different sports books, and it's very really cool to see um, kind of what people are launching for Ontario. And I'd say for. Any sports bettors within Canada and within Ontario, we have a lot of great things coming in store from a lot of these operators. We're going to have a lot of competition, a lot of people trying some unique stuff. Um, you should want to talk about that one guy's idea? The Irish guy. Yeah. Let's yeah. give him some... Pl- Wait, we got to... I don't know I don't know what his I, brand I, okay, is. Okay, I think I remember it. Let me pull it up because we got to give this guy some... Listen, we... I'll tell the full story and I'll be I'll be br- brutally honest. Yeah, with that's... that's but that's the, the point phone. of doing all this. right so we met this guy he's from like he he purchased a booth at this conference he was way in the back um we we went up to him and he was trying to run a sports book so he kind of flagged the stands like hey you know can i like let you guys know about my sports book idea we're like yeah for sure what is it like we're we're betters we you know we enjoy the space um so he's planning to launch in ireland soon and it's a sports book in which he will give back a lot of the profits to anybody who has lost money in that month from the sports book. So for example, I'll do a better job of explaining this. When you bet on the sports book, if you are down a hundred bucks that month, then all of the sports books profits, 50% of that, he's going to take back and give back to all of his losing bettors by the same amount of proportion that they lost. So if I lost a hundred, Rob lost a hundred and Zach behind the counter here lost 200, then of all of the profits that the sports book made in that month, Zach is going to get back 50%. I'm going to get 25% and Rob is going to get 25%. Does this make sense to everyone so yes. far? Okay. So that is his goal. And at first sight, the, the, the answer is like, Hey, well, I mean, how, like, it's already hard enough to make money. How are you going to get enough people where like you can give back 50% of your gross gaming revenue and still be profitable? It seems like, you know, a very foolish, uh, foolish thing. But one thing that's pretty cool about it, which he had mentioned was, he is going to publish the sports books basically chart. And listen, whether this works or not is to be seen. It's going to be a definitely definite long shot, but he's going to publish the sports books trading chart. So near the end of the month or near the end of the week, if you are down and you you stand to earn a percentage of money back from the sports books wins, you can now see where the sports book has specific liability and now you get to basically root on like 100 different bets. Because you want to now, you want the sports book now to win yeah. so that you can get a percentage of that payout back. So for example, if it's the end of the month and there's a major golf tournament, it's the last Sunday of the month and the sports book's sweating, you know, like a 200K or, you know, depending on the sizes, let's say they're sweating like a $2 million liability on Tiger Woods winning and he's in the final pairing. Now you've got a bet against Tiger, right? That might be a shitty example because no one wants to root against Tiger, right. but you got, you got a bet against whatever it might be, DJ on the Live Live Golf Invitational. <laughs> now you can watch that without actually having placed any bet. You can now sweat another like six to 10 bets of the sportsbook's biggest liability. And for that reason, I do think it was a cool concept. It's very, uh, I, li- I love the idea. Uh, it's unique. Um, uh, we've talked about this before on, on this podcast, but I do think that there's room for um, innovation in the space and people coming in and not just, you know, offering a traditional sportsbook. I do like the concept of that. I wonder about the sustainability. Obviously, you're giving away 50% of your GGR, like you mentioned. 
Um, if you were to bring that into Ontario, for example, where there's 20% tax rate as well, you know, you're taking a lot of your profits away from, from that point of view. Uh, you'll obviously have marketing costs associated with it. So I wonder if it's sustainable to do it at that level. Potentially there could be something at a smaller scale where you give back a smaller percentage. Uh, but from a player perspective, I completely agree. Like there, you, you now get into scenarios where you don't have to actually place a bet to have a sweat on the game, which is kind of fun, right? I mean, if you're down a lot, you're like, ah, you know, it, it's, it's a way to essentially bet without having to put up any more risk, um, which I think is really cool. So I wish him the best of luck in Ireland. Uh, where so we, he's going I got the name, market. just we got to give it a plug at least. Yep. Um, so to be clear, by the way, we spoke to this guy. I will give my, my thoughts here is like, I think this is going to take a lot of funding. So you know, my best wishes in terms of, you know, him being able to actually raise the capital, launch something in Ireland, have a successful proof of concept, and then bring it over to, you know, somewhere like Ontario or somewhere in, into the States. I would absolutely love to see this succeed. And I'm wishing him all the best. The name of it is We The Bookie. So W-E-T-H-E Bookie. You can go to wethebookie.com. This is his site here and check it out. If you are in Ireland, he is launching this this summer. So within the next couple of months, hoping to be live in Ireland. I don't know how many Irish listeners we have here, but <laughs> check it out and try it out. Give them a shot. Um, we love to see like new companies trying to make a splash, especially when it's a unique idea that hasn't really been done before. So all the best. I think we have one Irish uh, YouTube viewer who was trashing you when we first went live on no, YouTube. No, 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 no. He wasn't trashing me. It was the guy who, who defended me. He eventually turned. He, 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 he started by like, I, this, this was circles off on YouTube. What a mistake. Used to love the audio. Now I can't wa stop watching Johnny Fidget. It would like, you know, spin in his chair, stuff no, like so that. So the guy who said that was from UK and then another guy from Ireland said that he disagrees. He thinks Johnny's a fine young chap lad and <laughs> yeah. he would love to get him a pint of Guinness All if right. he were ever in Ireland. Yeah. Whoever that guy is, I hope you're listening right now. First off, you're the man. I appreciate the support. And second off, try out We The Bookie when this guy goes live and let us know how it is. Yes, I think... Uh, that has potential to be a, a strong product if you can if you can get it right. Uh, that was one of the highlights for me. One of the highlights non-related to sports was the uh, casino company from Miami. I believe it's XR Casino. I'm going to look this up. Uh, but this was essentially virtual reality and augmented reality casino, which is absurd. It's so cool. I play VR at home. Um, every now and then, like, I won't say that I'm, I'm playing VR every day, but, um, we have an Oculus, I don't know what Rift, whatever, whatever my wife bought most recently. Uh, and I play it. So I'm used to like the VR component of it, but the whole notion of not having to really get up off of your couch and drive to the casino and be able to play at a table with your friends sitting next to you interacting like I turned to my right I'd see my friend it's pretty cool like we're able to do that in this day and age the tech works really well like even the augmented reality stuff is is cool where you can physically you know put on the glasses walk around the table place the bed at the roulette wheel like it I was I was uh I was skeptical like when we first approached that booth I'm like there's no way this is gonna possibly be good it was good 
It was good. I, I will say he rigged his demo to make every hand a big winner. I was playing <laughs> around for a bit. I think I was up seven hundred thousand dollars. I was just, I was just betting. I won. Every Johnny's hand. just clicking doubling. max bet yeah, over was, and over. I was thinking max bet. I won like twelve in a row. I'm like, okay, this guy definitely set up this demo to just win every everyone. But uh, good for him. Yeah, that was a cool company as well. I mean, not sports betting space, but. I think what you said is correct. You know, if you're able to actually connect it with friends who are in different regions or different locations, that's the value of it. So the, the ability to actually kind of play for fun. Um, I think his his model here is like more of a B2B solution. So he's looking for casino partners who are looking to open up a VR casino, maybe have a land base, one where they could accept players and, you know, with, with some sort of license. I'm not sure the regulation around casino, but really cool. It was like a family run thing too, which is even even better. Who was the company giving out the uh, the free beer that had the sign of like, come enjoy a you nice free See, beer at this bar or enjoy the boring conference or something? It was the funniest sign. Yeah, you know what sucks though is um, we went for a few beers there, but I unfortunately don't even remember the company. So it just, it didn't really work, the advertising. Don't that say it. We should, we should cut that just so that there's still free beer at the next conference. It was an amazing sign. It's a it, free beer over here. Boring conference over there. <laughs> yeah, I actually did say that. It was very good. Uh, it was it was hopping too, that area. But yeah, the fact that we don't remember who it is. It was some payment processor that was for like, you know, crypto payments and but I, I don't know what they should have put like um like the sleeves on the beer, you know what I'm saying? Like with with branded sleeves of whatever they were doing. Yeah. It'd be just very easy to remember. But a QR code. A QR code, what there's lots of people with QR codes there. Uh, I'm I'm old. I'm like I'm in my mid thirties. I haven't done the conference thing in a long time since I was like working jobs and stuff like that. And um, there are QR codes everywhere now, which is like uh, the QR business codes and whatever. I'm not, listen, I'm not like technologically impaired or something like that, but I'm, I'm just very surprised that even in the span of a few years, um, all the technological advancements that have been made at these conferences relative to what they used to be. So it is pretty cool wasn't the greatest conference. I'd probably still go to a, like a larger Sigma event, probably in Malta or something like that. Um, I do enjoy the, the larger conferences like ICE that they have in London every year, which is really, really cool. Pretty much every operator's there, every affiliate. Um, you see all sorts of tech companies there as well. So I like that stuff. Um, I didn't get much out of the, the pan. In fact, I, I walked away from the two panels that I watched after about 10 minutes because I was getting like well, angry. I'll, I'll give people like uh, my strategy here with these conferences. I've been to a, a ton of these uh, when I was in university. I went to a lot. And um, what I found is like largely the speakers on there are, are going to be like, I now I don't want to say straight trash, but <laughs> Rob's going to give an example later that that might uh, that might fall under those uh those terms. Listen, a lot of speakers are good, but it's not necessarily that the people up there are bad. It's really just the whole format of being speaking at a conference and with a moderator. It doesn't really allow you to give any good info. You have to be super politically correct. You have to make sure you're you're always like if anyone's asking you a tough question, you're always going to be like, well, you know, I can't really answer this. So it, it's kind of like it's the equivalent, in my opinion, of an NHL player in the first intermission when they ask him like, you know, what's going on out there? Like, what's the strategy? And he's like, you gotta get the pucks in deep. Just keep, gotta, keep, oh, keep moving keep, the legs. Keep, keep, keep moving our legs. Pucks, pucks in deep. Pucks on net, and um, you know, just pucks to the goal, and we're gonna pop one in. Like that's literally the equivalent of the answers you're getting at these conferences. So, what I typically find is, if you are gonna go to a conference, find out who's gonna be there ahead of time. Reach out, book a bunch of meetings with people who are gonna be there. So what I did was like my my whole day for two days was booked up with uh, meetings that I preset with your different partners, cool companies I want, and then leave some time to maybe walk the floor. You might discover you know, a new company or this cool VR thing you could check out. But 
outside of that, if you're going to a conference, just sitting down and like expecting to like, uh, you know, take notes from these speakers, you know, probably just, you know, stay home and, and watch YouTube, probably find more info there. I can't even find the, the, the panel I was looking for on the Sigma website right now. So I, I just wanted to like come prepared with, I watch a responsible gaming panel. Hold up. By the way, also one thing is they change those panels up because whoever sponsors the conference, they usually add in like, oh, you could also be on this panel to like plug your stuff, which is another reason why the panels are not as valuable. Like a guy might be a sponsor and then he wants to get on some sort of panel so he can plug his thing that might have to do with it or might not have to do with it. So within that, you know, you're saying you can't find it. Like they switch these up. Whatever is listed on the site, you're going to see different guys go in based on, uh, got the fatter wallet right now yeah okay responsible gaming best practices and standards for lottery and iGaming products um here's what particularly upset me about this one is that um there was a representative there from DraftKings who was the head of responsible gaming for DraftKings and there was the vice president of responsible gaming for FanDuel on this panel um it, it was like you know a lot of this was not value I'm very sensitive to, to responsible gaming. I think I've discussed this before, but I suffered from problem gaming when I was younger. Um, I know friends around me who have suffered from problem gaming. I completely understand it. And I think that there's definitely a need for responsible gaming. What really got me here though, was like, I think unintentional comments that were made like along the lines of, you know, 98, 99% of our people, our players, we're encouraging them to set deposit limits when they sign up. Um, things of that nature. So it can't spiral out of control, but all these books run VIP programs. And if you're talking about people who really need the responsible gaming component of it, it's kind of, it's ex extremely hypocritical to run a VIP program where you have a host who's constantly reaching out to a player to encourage them to bet more and offering them incentives to do so. And then saying, we care about responsible gaming. Now, I, I get that this is where the sports books are going to make the majority of their money is through VIPs. Uh, what was often said in the offshore space when I was working in the offshore space was 10% of your players are going to provide you with 90% of your revenue. And that wasn't quite true for the brands I was working for, but it was close to that. You, you can't have an entire panel where you talk about how you care so much about the players and you want them to have great experiences and you want them to be engaged with the product over a long period of time and then run a VIP program where your intent is to, um, <laughs> I mean, really, let's call it out for what it is, make as much money off possible possible off of players you think uh, can afford to, to, to drop that kind of money. Yeah, I know. By saying like, oh, 99% of our players go through this like responsible gaming checks, like those people would not even need that check. Like most players don't need a responsible gaming check. It is the small percentage that do need it. And they're like, oh, well, we're good enough, 99% compliance. It's not really apples to apples. They're pretty much at 0% compliance. And don't get me wrong, like there, there are gonna be VIPs out there that, that understand that they're a VIP. They understand that they're gonna lose money and they're okay with that. And they just want the best experience possible with whatever sports book or casino they're playing. They're like, listen, I, I'm in this for fun. I got, I got 100K to drop this month. I'm comfortable losing it all, but I wanna have the best experience that I possibly can. And there are, there are people like that and whatever to each their own. If you can afford to lose that money, I'm not judging or whatever, but then there's the, you know, the person who's going to make a large deposit, for example, that's not necessarily a VIP out of the gate. And they're going to be put into uh, maybe like a potential VIP program or, or somebody's going to start monitoring their play. And then a host is going to reach out to them. Those are the types of people that 
can't necessarily afford to lose that. But because of their initial deposit and their initial wagering patterns, they're going to be put into that uh, type of program. So for me, I, I just I was steaming a little bit because I, I just find it so hypocritical that you have all these people on one panel talking about how they're doing so much for the player to prevent them from going down these problem gaming paths. And there's hotlines you can call and so on and so forth. And a lot of that stuff is good. But at its core, the real problem is taking advantage of the people who are going to drop a lot of money and allowing that to happen just because these are the people that are going to be most profitable to them in the long run. Tough. I had to walk away. I was, I was upset. And there's no questions at these panels either, which is like, what's going on here? At least somebody could have dropped a question. Like when I was with um, Spanky at uh, Betting America, where he just asked the uh, Will Hill <laughs> CEO at the time why they limit players. One of the most uncomfortable situations of my entire lifetime being next to Spanky for that one. But yeah, like at least let people ask questions at panels. What's the point? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, there's no, there's not really much value in the panels and stuff like this. Like it's all corporate guys and they're not going to give any info and they're all just like, you know, uh, yeah, this is the answer. And that's the politically correct answer. It's going to answer it and that's it. So you know, networking is cool. I did, we Love did it. meet with a bunch of sports books. And like I said, all positive. I, I still feel like we got like a lot of value out of the conference just because we were able to connect with so many partners face to face. Another super underrated aspect of business, like last couple of years, just being online, you know, you can't really get someone's full perspective just by emailing them back and forth. When you even just talk for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you kind of see where a person's at. Like, what do they want to do with this? Like, are they... The main thing I think the difference is, is like you can see if someone's like passionate about what they're doing and or if they're just I'm here to collect my paycheck. Agreed. And I'm, I'm going to head out as soon as this is like as soon as the clock hits, whatever time is my last hour. I'm out of here. I'll respond back Monday morning at 9 a.m. Or if they're the person who's like, I actually want to build some cool stuff. And of, of course, you're never going to be able to tell that that is somebody unless you actually can talk to them. Sometimes you, a phone call might not even do it justice. Agreed. I think overall, probably like a three out of 10 type of conference, but we got value out of it. I'm, I'm being serious. Like, I'm sure there's the vast majority of people there. Me and Johnny are pretty social. We talk to like a lot of people. That's just the way we are. There's, there's definitely people there that got absolutely no value out of it. It's a shame that they put on two conferences at once, but if it was a spite move, respect. Respect, respect that guy. As Ali G would have said back in the day on his show, but um, yeah. What else is going on this week? A couple of things actually mostly related to golf. Mm -hmm. Uh, The LIV or the Live Golf Tour launched and it's on at the same time as the RBC Canadian Open. And I feel like the PGA Tour is panicking a little bit, trying to get some exciting things going at their tournament. So uh, the Canadian Open is pretty close to here. Are either of you guys going to head out there? I know Mark is is at the uh, event today. Yeah, Mark, who manages our website, is uh, is there today. I'll be there tomorrow. So this, for anyone listening on delay, I'll be there on the Saturday of the event. Um, there just in time to see Maroon 5 perform oh, after. <laughs> Maroon 5, not bad. I, I actually have some really good tickets on the 18th, uh, just off the 18th green. But um, I, I saw the score bets. Um, so th- there's, a, there's a lot that goes into this here. I'm very familiar with the course. I grew up in the area where St. George's is in Toronto. My father was a caddy there for several years. He's actually working the tournament right now at the uh, what's called the rink, the 16th hole, which is they're trying to create like a party atmosphere. It's kind of cool. Yeah, he wanted to be part. Well, he, 
quick quick tangent for a second here. Ever since my father found out that that it was going to be hosted at St. George, he'd been trying to get a, a job, like a player-facing job there. Now, he knew right away that there's no driving range at St. George's golf course. There's one across the street. So he's been working for like months to try to be the shuttle driver, to get the players to the range and back so that he could have like the, the time to talk to them and whatever. He didn't get that gig. He was a little bit distraught about it, but they let him pick whatever else he wanted. So now he's on the 16th green, which is the rink. He's going to try to keep the crowd a little bit order, orderly around there, but he'll get to see the players putt, approach the green, whatever. He's pretty happy about that. He's sending me pictures like every five minutes. Like he's going to listen to this or whatever, but like, like Charlie Hoffman's bag. Like I don't like that. You know, I watch golf and really I, I don't care enough about Charlie Hoffman's bag to be getting a picture every five minutes or like a caddy with like some guy's name on the back, like Connors. It's like Corey Connors caddy. I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. But he's enjoying it now. He loves golf though. He loves golf. My dad loves golf. The score bet has like the this seating, which I'm very puzzled by, but I will say from a, from a pure marketing perspective, this was a great move by them. Because it's getting picked up by PGA's uh, Twitter feed. It's getting picked up by everybody. But essentially, there is a crane, which is hanging on... There's a crane on Islington Avenue in Toronto. And basically, up atop this crane, there's a bar that's hanging with seating all the way around it so that you can oversee the golf course. Great marketing tactic. I'm sure we're going to see this pick up like everywhere at some point or another. Who in the hell, this is like a VIP score experience. Who in the hell wants to do this other than just to say that they possibly did it? Like half the seats are not even facing the golf course. Like if you, there's people with their backs to the course that are looking across the street at like the park that's there, the dog park or whatever. Like that's the first problem with this. The second, this is a bar. I don't know if you guys have been to bars before. I know that you obviously have, but when you drink, you, you have to take, like, you have to piss pretty regularly. And if you're stranded at the top of a crane, where are you, like, where are you going to, I don't understand the logistics. For? I don't know. Like, if it's an hour thing, okay, I get it. But then it's also just, like, it's kind of shitty. Like, I, I mean, it's not, whatever, but. There's probably just shuttling guys up there, people up there, just to be like, okay, I went up in the crane. They take a couple photos, slap it on the IG, get back down. Yeah, take photo of the dog park across the street come back down or like you have to turn around over your shoulder and film it and whatever. In I know the, the facing the other way is hilarious. In theory, I get, I, I get the concept of it, but like put people, put, make it like a one line thing where everybody can like face the, like if you're riding a ride, you know what I'm saying? Like anyone who's ridden like a drop tower or something like that before is if you're facing outwards, got to face outwards to be able to see the golf. Like how mad would I be if I got hoisted up in the air and I ended up in the seat that I, I have to like turn over my shoulders. I don't know how these people are locked in. I assume it's pretty much like a ride, but they got, they got straps over the shoulders on yeah. the seats here. It's like we're riding a roller coaster. It has to be fully safe and whatever, but great marketing tactic. We're talking about it. It's exactly what the score would want. I kind of like the innovation. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the score I worked for years ago, they're typically more of a safer company, I would say, but they're starting to push the envelope a bit. I like that, but... Come on. Hilarious. Like, 
if I'm, I'm a diabetic, okay? This, I don't know actually, I don't understand the science of this, but when I start to drink, I have to piss like every 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I, I actually would not be able to do this. It's upsetting to me. It's all good. It's all good. Patrons will have the opportunity to secure Skyline seat spots by visiting the Score Bets on course activations, including the Bet Mode Putting Challenge mm. and the Score Bet Members Lounge. The seating structure hosts 22 people who will be harnessed into their seats, and the experience in the sky is 30 minutes with additional time allotted for embarking and <laughs> embarking and disembarking. <laughs> Food and beverage is included in the experience. Yeah, so that that's cool. Like, like, I get it. I like the idea. I don't know that. No, that's cool. It's cool. It's probably a lot of money also. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and you have to take part in these two other score events on course on the ground to be able to even be allowed to do this so like you have to go through if it's, a, if it's a putting challenge me and you will get up there no problem our Johnny drain like 150 foot putt i drain 150 foot foot putt at a stag to win a foursome of golf at copper creek oh that's great it was into a little cup on a hardwood floor thing was curving like crazy i just rode that i rolled the, the line on one of the things and sunk it. I'd like to. I like. Off. I like to think it's because when we first moved into the bet stamp office, we had the putting green. We did have a putting green. We had a putting green. We used to putt probably twenty to thirty minutes every day. <laughs> the the thing is this: if something's there, you'll use it. Like when we when we move the location of the ping pong table, it gets so much less use. And honestly, it's, it's probably for the better. It it probably is. We're way more productive without the ping pong table. I got to move floor. the gym. I got to move a gym right next to my desk so I will actually work out. We could, we couldn't. Yeah, I I will I'm say though, a squat rack beside the desk. It's kind of depressing that we don't play ping pong as much as we used to. Though we had like some big office rivalries, some epic matches. It w- it was pretty funny though. Like you know you'd you'd smash a ball and it just hit a guy working at his desk. At some point, like hits them in the back or bounces off their screen or something. Mark used to be in the most unfortunate position. It was legit two feet to the side of the table. When, and when he caught so many strays. When I used to play, Mark, yeah, Mark's desk was, a, he was like one of the last employees. To, we gave him like the spot that, you know. It's we, still a good spot. It's it just, you're going to catch a, you might catch a ping pong ball. I used to bat. tell him to hold his coffee. One might, one might bounce and then. Hit you in the leg. It's yeah. nothing, nothing. No, no. Listen, it's a ping pong ball. I, but, but I, I, I used to tell him to just hold, like, hold your coffee when I'm there because I don't want to smash a ball. It hits his coffee, goes onto the desk. So he'd always be working like with one hand and holding a coffee. Double bounce in the cup. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's that. Um, I don't know anything about the. Um, I, I didn't see the broadcast for the um, the LIV tour, but from what I uh, got from my Twitter timeline. People were like pretty happy with the broadcast because guess what? They show more golf. Like there's less montages. There's less commercial breaks. It was just shot after shot after shot. Seems to me like logically. Are they going to like mic up the players and stuff? I don't know what they're going to do. I feel like that's the opportunity. If we consume this golf though, are we bad people? If If I watch the LIV tour, am I a bad person? Why? What do you think? Why would you be a bad person? Because, like, I mean, the players are obviously bad now, as society is determined. Has Have they or no? <laughs> well, I mean, there was a guy at a press conference asking Lee Westwood and Ian Poulter if that if Putin held a golf tournament, would they play? It, that's the point it's gotten to now. I don't know. I don't care to discuss this stuff. Yeah, neither do I. And listen, I, the question of morals is one thing. 
Man, you're talking about a guy in Dustin Johnson who's made like 75 million career earnings, and then you're telling him you can get 175 million guaranteed. That's that's a tough tough thing. Wait, to why pass are they up. calling this thing the Saudi Tour? Also, is that that's not even the name, right? It's they not, just, but they, just, they branded it as that for a negative imagery. I think so. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, They're like we got it. Yeah, I mean, okay. So weird. some things with the broadcast, and I think part of why it's being enjoyed is like it's just a more modern, refreshed feel of the broadcast. Rob's right. First of all. They show more golf, which you're here to watch golf. It's quicker. Like, the play is quicker because they do a shotgun start. And then the other thing I think, I don't know how well it would appeal to you guys, but I, I think for people like my generation at least, the screen that comes up is just easy to read and it's clean. It's like it looks new. It looks modern. You can see all the players. Like, they're showing 15 guys on the leaderboard rather than five in the corner and then rotating through all the guys that go through there. Like it shows everybody it shows because they have the teams that they're playing on. Like it just looks a little more. Yeah. Complete. Listen, I love golf. I love playing golf. Like it's not very exciting to watch and it's like sometimes cool to watch the majors, but really what you're watching is like the final day. Just you're, you're more interested in the competition, the actual production PGA, not very good. So the ability to actually have a competitor come in at the very minimum. Listen, regardless of your thoughts on like, oh, this is this competitor. Like, quite frankly, I'll just say like, I like if you think you're like a bad person for watching TV, I, like it is what it is. I'm not here to discuss that <laughs> stuff. Right, right. I haven't seen it yet. I, I, I plan to uh, obviously check it out just to see the product. But ultimately, when another thing of competition comes in, what that's going to do probably elevate the pga a little as well and to think that they could just own a monopoly like i know the pga like they don't they don't pay their players as like employees they're like you know of general contractors of the the pga and stuff like that similar to how the ufc does it and when stuff's like that if more money is available elsewhere people may take a shot it's going to now be up to the pga to like reinvent it i'm very familiar with how this happened in the ufc like ufc was the big dog league and then like a few other leagues came in like pfl which is they're right now like we will give a million dollars to whoever is the champ if they win like every year each weight class one fighter gets a million dollars which it's very hard to do in the ufc unless you're top of the top of the rank and obviously pfl is lower competition so they did lose a few guys from the ufc that went over to pfl same thing with bellator and ultimately what it's going to be is the ufc was like okay no worries we lost those guys we don't need them let's make our product bigger let's figure out what we got to do so in terms of the pga i think the deal is going to be like you know, okay, send out a couple of hateful emails where you're going to be like snarky towards the players. Like that's going to do nothing probably, but have a more negative image toward the PGA. Maybe make your product a bit better. Now it's time to probably say, hey, all this old school stuff we were doing might not be working as well because it seems like someone else might be picking up steam. Let's figure out how to make our thing better. And if they can now go ahead and take that UFC model and be like, okay, we're going to take our product, move it to the next level. It's no competition. UFC is by far the best league. If you are not in the UFC, you are basically not even a, a, a com- like you're not even considered a top fighter. If you're the Bellator champ, it's like oh well, it's Bellator champ. Sure, he might be like top ten in the UFC, but he's not very good. So if the PGA can essentially make it where you know DJ wins his tournament and they're like yeah DJ he's he's trash. He's not even a good golfer. He's not even in the PGA. If they can build that kind of brand, which they might be able to, should be a good thing for them and could be good for the fans watching. Well, I just want to say, too, I, I don't know if you've seen any of the comments out of the guys who are at the RBC Canadian Open, but they've been pushing that narrative themselves out of the PGA. Rory has made some statements about, like, nobody's going to watch that because look at the guys that are in it. They asked Scotty Scheffler, and he's like, 
yeah, the only guy that I noticed was missing this week was DJ. Yeah. And like they're basically well, saying I mean, like as of yeah, right now, right? But I mean there's obviously gonna yeah, be more guys right. going over like DeShambo, I think's gonna go over. Like now, say what you want about him. He hasn't been having the best year, but he is a pretty big name in the Patrick space. Reed as well, like not I mean not superstar anymore, but there yeah, there's Phil Mickelson, he still has got fans, you know what I mean? Yeah. One thing I will say actually is this on the sponsors, like DJ lost all of his sponsors. Are you sponsored by RBC? Like just so everyone knows, like he fully knew he was losing all his sponsors. Right. Like, it's not a surprise. He was like, oh, that sponsor's probably paying me like $2 million a year, $1 million a year. He's like, I'm getting this much. Like, I don't need that sponsor anymore. Another thing for he the He doesn't player, need a sponsor for the rest of his life, but period. What, what he, I'm he's saying accounting is like, for when, that. When you are tied to sponsors, you have to like, not necessarily act a certain way, but you're like at any given time, if your money is tied to somebody else paying you as a sponsor, now your brand is tied. He may not be able to take certain risks that he might want to do with his brand, um, and he definitely, you know, would like, for example, some of those guys, it's like, I know what the PGA. So if you want to do like a YouTube show and monetize your name and likeness and like use the PGA stuff, or even while you're under contract with PGA, like they get a cut of that. Right. And that's another thing with DJs. Like it's very, that guy probably could build a really wicked personal brand, but under the PGA banner, he may, may be strapped in where you can't do that. Now, I don't know this for sure. But not having to deal with sponsors like a, a bank or, you know, a clothing brand, getting guaranteed money on his own could potentially give him the chance to like maybe make, let's say, a YouTube channel where he's like just himself, like, you know, messing around on the golf course, right. hitting dingers, like drinking beers like that. That can't be a thing like that's the stuff that I think guys like us want to watch. Like if, if DJ had a show where he just walked, went in his golf cart, kind of messed around on the course was like, yo, I, I messed that one up. Let me hit another ball. Was like crushing beers with some stuff. Like I'd probably watch that show and could be a, a sick brand. You can't do that when you have sponsors. So whenever guys can be like, oh, my sponsors are going to drop me, but I'm already covered on, like he knew that was going to happen. It doesn't come as a surprise. Yeah. And the other thing too, I'm just kind of pulling up some stuff about the live golf. Like they're covering everything for these guys. You get guaranteed money. Right. And then every player in the tournament, no matter what you finish, there's only 48 per tournament. No matter what you finish, you make money. Um, even the worst players per weekend, their hotels, their travel, their food, their drinks, like if they want to go out, their family flights, everything covered by the backers of the LIV. Like it's I, all covered. Yeah. And I heard Bryson once on a podcast talk about how like the travel for PGA wasn't very good. So um, basically what he was saying is he's like a super health food nut. So he doesn't like to order food on the road and stuff like that. So when he traveled... The, they wouldn't like accommodate anything for him. So he basically just paid for all of his own stuff, which I think you have to pay for anyways, but he would, he would have to basically like get Airbnbs with kitchens and stuff. So he could, so he could have like, you know, go grocery shopping and cook his own food. Um, so little things like that, I think at that level where, you know, he's one of the best players on tour. I'm sure if, if Sidney Crosby was like, Hey, I need somewhere with the kitchen, like the penguins are accommodating that. Right. Whereas the PGA was like, no, no deal. Like, to what to save a couple thousand bucks i think little things like that probably add up and that that may be you know one of many factors why bryson's like ah i'm gonna go over to this other tour and i mean stuff like this will force the pga tour to change a lot of those as well if they if they feel players are leaving for reasons i mean obviously the money is the big one but there's these other smaller reasons that contribute in decision making as well forces the pga tour to switch it it's kind of good Co competition is good yeah, the RBC sponsor on on uh, Dustin Johnson, by the way, like 
from RBC's point of view, like they're just a brand, right? So they need to make sure that they're in positive image and they're sponsoring a player. So if at any point that player does anything, it's just a business move. They have to drop that player. So what I would say is like, this shouldn't be a positive or negative press for RBC. Like it's just something that has to happen is like, if they keep DJ as a sponsor, now they are going to be under scrutiny by a certain amount of player, a certain amount of people. So from a business perspective, it no longer makes sense to pay that player. So they have to just drop them. They're not really doing anything wrong. They're not really doing anything right. It's just that's the business move that needs to happen at that time. What's hilarious, though, is they had all this signage up at the Canadian Open, obviously, given that, you know, is, are they the presenting sponsor? I believe so. So is, is it the RBC Canadian Open again this year? Yeah. So RBC had a bunch of Dustin Johnson, like murals, <laughs> paintings, whatever. And yeah. when he signed with uh, Liv, they had to rush and get all of those changed. And like that was probably, I don't know how much money you think that, that would be like just to pr print those posters, put them up and stuff like that. Like they're costing hundreds of thousands to like get that up on short notice, which is even, which is even funnier. But the guy who, or woman who's responsible for doing that aged probably five years guaranteed in the one week, like the most, I can only, what's the, what's the movie? Is it super bad? Whereas the guy, the guys in, uh, they spill all the beer in the in the convenience store yeah, yeah. and he's just like he's got the mop he's like fuck my life i can only imagine the exact same thing happening to the person who sees rb like, yeah, like we're, Dustin week Johnson. Before, yeah week before the Cana rbc canadian open he had all this signage already printed all these dj commercials <laughs> stuff ready to go and they're like we're dropping this guy remove every trace of dj from every <laughs> single artwork this girl's probably looking at her thing like He's on 80% of our artwork. Like we are, we are on short notice now rushing everything. Yep. That's a letter of resignation moment for you me. Think, yeah, that is a letter that. of resignation moment for me. I wanted to talk about one other thing, which has really bothered me over the last couple of days. Anyone who follows me on Twitter probably saw me tweet about this. Golden State Warriors, Boston Celtics in the NBA finals right now. Game three happened in which... Following the game, you have a bunch of players from the Warriors, particularly Draymond Green and Klay Thompson, who are going off on Boston fans. Never seen such disrespectful fans yelling F-bombs at us at the game. I can't even walk the streets of Boston without someone yelling, you know, F you at me, stuff like that. Is I, I, I'm pretty impartial with sports. I hate Boston sports. Because I'm in Toronto. There's always been rivalries for years. Hate, hate Boston sports. The Golden State Warriors have somehow made it so that I'm rooting for the Boston Celtics in the finals because I cannot think of a more unlikable thing to, like than a team to come out and be like, oh, you know, we went on the road into a hostile environment and it was, it was too hostile. Like people were uttering coarse language at us, swear words, during the game, like like this is the first time in the history of sports that this has happened, or that it's an unacceptable. Like, deal with it. I don't. I, I get so infuriated by listening to the Warriors players. Like, it seems like the most entitled team on the planet. They just want to go in, play a nice road game. Everyone shake hands after. Like, that's not what this is. It's the NBA Finals. It's, it's way too soft right now. <laughs> Also, like, imagine how it was back in the day. It was probably 10 times worse when there wasn't, like, social media and stuff or more. And the funny part is, in some sports right now, like UFC, like, guys go to Brazil and fight Brazilian fighters, and they're, like, American. 
and they will literally just talk so much shit about Brazilians and about the crowd. And then like the crowd is literally chanting when they come in, like a, in Portuguese. It's like, um, I know what it is. I don't even know if it's a swear word, but I think it translates to like, you're going to die. And they, they, they chant that in to all of the people, like the American fighters who are facing Brazilians and they literally throw stuff at them as they're coming in. And then those guys have to fight. And like, if they win, they literally have to like get out of Brazil. Yeah. Like they're like, we got it. We have to get in security and get out of Brazil. But like early nineties, like bulls, Knicks, stuff like that. in the Eastern conference finals, First of all, the players on the court are trying to actually murder each other when they get in the paint. So that's the first thing. Like now you can at least drive to the basket with the expectation that someone's not going to try to absolutely take your head off like it was back in the day. But the crowds like were, were insane. Like and now like some, you know, some guy says F you to Draymond Green while he's running down the court and he's like, oh, this is unacceptable. Like, what is this? And, and, and don't tell me, don't tell me that this stuff does not happen at their home games either. Like, are is every Golden State Warriors fan a saint yeah. that has just been there and, like, applauding the other team when they win? And, like, it, it's, it's a no, joke, it's part man. Of, it's part of the game, man. Mike Milbury, mad Mike Milbury, <laughs> once hopped the glass in a hockey game for the Boston Bruins, went into the crowd, as well as with the whole team, took a guy, threw him down, took off that guy's shoe, and started hitting him with his own shoe, and he's got a versus commentary job in the U.S. right now. <laughs> that was the game back then. <laughs> yeah, it's completely different. Man. And and I think there was one with well, who who uh, who attacked the guys at the basketball game? I don't know. Is it, was it Ron Artest? It was uh, that that jump went into the crowd. Yeah, yeah Malice Artest? at the Palace. Yeah. Yeah. Ron Artest went into the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they Meta literally world used peace. To, <laughs> at the time, Ron Artest went into the crowd. Yeah, Meta World Peace went into the crowd and started like legit scrapping guys. Like that's how it was back in the day. That's like. It's funny now to see people complaining about that. But when you think about like all the things that I've fought, I've obviously been a sports fan my whole life. There's like, there's stuff that I find more ludicrous than somebody telling you to F off at a game. Like World Cup qualifiers, okay? Like the crazy, some of the crazy ones. You'd have like a team that goes to Mexico or Jamaica or something like that. They get a hotel and people just literally blare horns outside the hotel Ring for the, the entire night. <laughs> Everything. They, they literally do not let you get any sleep whatsoever. Like that to me, I don't think it's crossing the line because it's it's for sport. You're trying to get an advantage in any way. But if you're going to call out something that's crossing the line, okay, like we, we literally could not sleep because people were pulling fire alarms, blaring horns, loud music all night outside our hotel. Or, you know, we literally could not... Take, get our, our flight. We could not catch our flight in time because people were blocking all the routes to the airport. Like that that's next level gain, gain an edge type of stuff. So we had to take a, a, a flight three hours later because we couldn't get to the airport on time. Like that stuff is okay. I got fans some, don't even have a big impact now. I got some stuff for you guys and I just want to hear your reactions on it. This is from the incident. So it started because the crowd at TD Garden was chanting F you Draymond. And then Clay Thompson had his... Uh, had his statement after he said we've played in front of rude fans before dropping f-bombs with children in the crowd in the crowd really classy good job boston and this guy from boston replies on twitter those were the children yelling f-bombs <laughs> <laughs> but you know okay here's another thing that i'd like, That's uh, funny. we live in a different day and age now i've been going to sporting events since i was a kid my dad would take me to events i cannot recall a single event i ever went to where i didn't hear someone using profanity in i 
when I was in school, when I was nine years old, there'd be people that were swearing. Like, it's not like this is the end of the world. These kids are going to hear this language at some point or another. It's a responsibility of the parent to say like, this is you know not acceptable to continuously use over and over and so on and so forth. You can't go about living your life just swearing and whatever, but it's a joke. It's actually a joke. And think about all the stuff that gets chant at every, chanted at every single game, starting with the refs, you suck one. Like that's not a good message for children to tell the officials that they suck every game. It happens at every single game. Ref, you suck. Ref, you <laughs> suck. Happens at every single game. You get the bullshit chant over and over. Like this happens all the time. So uh, it's a joke. It's honestly a joke. And I'm definitely atop the list of least likable athletes right now would be Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Hold on, Rob. You want to get a little more frustrated here? <laughs> Draymond Green's wife takes the Instagram post game. She was not happy either. And she says, and quote, Warriors fans would never. My kids were at the game tonight hearing that mess. Very disgusting of you little Celtics fans. Just shameful. Bro, people like people just complain too much now. It's and everything. I have uh, there's a story that um this guy Brandon Schaub is a former UFC heavyweight yeah. fighter. Does like he was one of the guys that Morenci back in the day told me that I bet against him. He took it. He told, told Shab. He, he told Shab that I bet Shab was a good guy though. He took it very well. He was laughing it up. G- great guy, Brendan Shab. So Shab does a lot of podcasts. Now he told the story that I I absolutely died of laughter at. So his story was he went into Brazil to fight a Brazilian fighter. I think it was maybe Gabriel Gonzaga. I'm not sure exactly if that's the fight, but he went into Brazil and he was facing like a hometown Brazilian guy who was like a fan favorite there, and uh, the the area in Brazil where they fight, there's like that's the main soccer area for one team and they're super super serious about soccer and there's like a rival team where like if you wear that rivals team jersey in that area like you're in you're in a little bit of danger right so it'd basically be like wearing a habs jersey to a leaf game but at a significant significant because you're right right in brazil yeah so he said he was broke at the time and uh these like two i guess powerful brazilian guys i forget what he called them maybe like gangsters or something and they went they came to him with an offer which was they, they went to his like hotel room where he was staying and they brought a jersey of the rival team that like would would piss everyone off and they made him an offer with a translator they're like okay if you knock out Gonzaga if you be, if you beat him then like after the fight before you do the interview put this rival team jersey on <laughs> and we'll give you 80 grand and he was like oh 80 grand like I'm in so this how much stones he had at the time they he said they locked they locked the 80 grand in the safe in his hotel room and they knew the password. They're like, okay, here's the Jersey. If you do it at the end, then when you come back here, we'll call you and tell you the password to the safe and you keep the 80 grand. And they're like, it's only if you like win and put the Jersey on, will you keep the 80 grand? Then he told the story. He was so hyped up because he wasn't making much and he was like desperate for 80 grand. He wasn't even scared at all. And then basically like he ended up, he was winning. He was like a minus 300 in that fight. He won the first round. I think he got knocked out in the second. Literally said he, it was the darkest days of his life. When he got knocked out, he was in so much, like he's just detrimented, lost, didn't get his win bonus, went back to his hotel. Those two gangsters came back. He took the yep. money out of the safe. They took the money out of the safe. They left and they're like, sorry, man. They're like, you can keep the jersey. <laughs> and then he kept the jersey, said he still has it. And his dad framed it and put it in his basement or something like that. But that's when I heard that story. I laughed so hard. And the best part about it was 
like the stones he must have had. Like it would have been sick to see that. Like put on the like everyone would have been throwing stuff at him, whatever, and he would have to just kind of get out of there. But um, that was that's like a a true thing of like sport and culture and like stones. Now nowadays it's like oh the crowd swore at me. Like but but l- listen, obviously there's gonna there can be a, a point where a crowd gets out of line. You know, like you don't want to see people assaulting people. Or you know, if you do bring your kid to a game. As an example, you don't want someone like yelling, like lacing profanities directly at you with your kid at the game. Like I've been in a very uncomfortable situation before at a Blue Jays game where I had John Ferguson Jr., who used to be the GM of the Maple Leafs, sitting in front of me a couple rows and notoriously was a very bad GM. And he's got his kid next to him at the ball game and people are letting him know how bad of a job he did in Toronto. Like that's... (laughs) You know, and, and at least there was a, there were fans that were smart enough to turn around and be like, listen, the guy's here with his kid. Leave him alone. Like, you know, so there's stuff like but that. He wasn't even GM at the time. Though. He wasn't. You this know, was yeah. years afterwards, right? And, and you don't want to see stuff like that happen. At least there's people that'll put those people in place, hopefully. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess the fear for some people is that if you keep pushing the envelope, you get to a point where somebody's going to cross the line in some capacity. And I kind of understand that a little bit. But as far as we've been, like as far back as I've been watching sports, your playoff game on the road, it's a hostile environment. There's a lot of people there that are drinking, they're cheering for their team. They take it very seriously. Um, And and, and like a win for some of these fans is like a life-changing moment. Uh, Maybe not necessarily for Celtics or Boston sports fans who've won a lot recently, but you can see why people would be so amped in a scenario like this. Now, no one's assaulting someone. No one's really going over the line, in my opinion. It's just like, and by the way, la- the last thing we can kind of end on this. If you're one of the Warriors who is saying something like this after a game three, what do you think is possibly going to happen in game four? Like, what is <laughs> what is your end goal here? Do you think all the fans are going to show up and everyone's going to be quiet? And it's going to be, it's going to happen at a way more drastic scale, way more drastic scale. Like yeah, you're right. Actually, I didn't even think of that. Like it's gonna get up. It's gonna get nuts for game four. Well, if they end up, so I mean, this may not age well, but what I, what I'm gonna say is like at the end of the day, this is like the passion that makes going to sporting events fun. Now, I'm not necessarily condoning for like you know yelling at kids and stuff like that and and whatnot. But as soon as we like. Like you see it at Maple Leafs games, like the, the lower bowl is, is a lot of suits as people claiming, you know, it's a lot of like businessmen who can afford the ticket to just go there. They might sit down, do some business. They won't even stand up and clap for a goal. Like when the stadium becomes that, that's when your, your team actually like it becomes so much less fun to go to a game. And if the teams could actually realize this, it's like you're the part of the allure of being a fan is the ability to like go to a game and fire it up and like have have fun with your friends and stuff like and that and to bring a broom into the arena yeah or just know? like any just anything just like you know obviously you can't be hurting anyone and and you you need to be careful with it but as soon as the stadium becomes like full of suits who don't enjoy the game that also makes it less fun to be a fan watching from home and the whole like sports is literally built by the fans we got to realize that like the actual athletes playing the game are worth Nothing if not for the fans who want to pay to watch and who want to actually get into it. So I, I think in general, like to complain about the, the culture of certain arenas. Now, you know, being careful here to just like, I still don't agree with, you know, swearing at kids and stuff like yeah, that. But to complain about the culture of the arena is like, come on, man, that's what's paying your salary. Like Draymond Green's making, you know, multiple tens of millions per year because of those fans that are willing to actually come to the game and get that passionate about it. So 
Let's calm I, it down. Right? I'm sure there's stuff that actually happens that crosses the line. And like, I, I'm not supporting that in any way. Like this, this happens at every, you know, stadium. These arena. guys never played Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and got into the room after you've faced another team. You've never, you, if, you've, if you've never played that, and I, some people who are listening will know what I'm talking about, but until you've played that, you don't know rivalry within, within sports. I've, uh, on a less relatable scale, I, I did play Call of Duty back in the day, but now I play Sniper Elite. And, um, you know, when you wear the headphones, you got to have thick skin at the end of the day. Buddy, in Modern Warfare 2, they didn't, you, you weren't able, like right now, if you play Call of Duty, they mute the mics in games, so you can't actually talk to the other team and like, Chirp them. In Modern Warfare 2, this uh, just go look up some YouTube videos and, and you'll see like you'll see what it was. But this is the that is like you don't even know rivalry unless you've played that. Yeah, it makes you really quick witted too, because especially now the game ends and you have 30 seconds in the lobby with the other team before it goes into the new one. So you go in there and just it's like 12 people just screaming. And then it's done. And then you go back to just your team. See, that's interesting to me. Depending on the type of, of shooting game you're playing. Listen, they had to ban it because there's a lot of like, you know, words that can't really be used. Right. Being said. But like the sniper elite lobby during the, during like the in between games, it's more of a, um, you know, camaraderie type of thing. Like you'll, you'll shit talk somebody else on the other team, but it's not in disrespect and or, or whatever. In the games, most of the, most of the, the, the shit talking, shit talking that happens is amongst teammates because you can only hear your own team the whole time, and you always got like one guy on your team that's weighing you down, and that guy just takes like the epic like brunt of of the the team loss. You're always looking for someone to blame in those games. That's not yourself, hundred percent. And you know, it is what it is. But anyways, we'll see uh, what happens in the rest of the series. I assume it will be loud. I assume there will be more f bombs. There will be another fu Draymond chat. A chant at some point um but it is what it is that's pro sports and uh, i hate hearing athletes complain about stuff that's just been happening for the the entire duration of time uh for the rest of june we do have us open golf next week we do have wimbledon in june so we'll look to bring on some guests to discuss how to bet those sports uh we'll look for a q a as well which we haven't done in a while uh but for now please rate and review five stars if you're watching on youtube subscribe Thanks very much. We'll talk to you next week.